Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. Ladies and gents, we have such an epic guest for you on the show today. Silvana Roche is an executive coach and people advisor based in Silicon Valley. She guides founders and CXOs on how to manage their internal psychology and interpersonal dynamics so that they can lead from a place of clarity and courage. Since founding her practice eight years ago, she's coached over 200 leaders at companies like Slack, Apple, Netflix, and fast-growing startups in the U.S. and Europe. Silvana is a Techstars mentor, startup advisor, and angel investor. As an international speaker, she's given talks about how to give feedback that builds relationships, how to be a great leader, and how to leverage your mindset for success. Originally from France and Colombia, Silvana is a political scientist by training who also studied Hatha Yoga in India. Her prior career in international development has enabled her to approach challenges with both business and people with a wide lens and a variety of tools. Well, you're the coolest person I've ever been able to talk to. Hi, (laughs) welcome to the show. This is so cool. Thank you for being here. This is so awesome. I'm so pumped for this. You are such a force. How's your day? My day is good. We got off to a rough start, <laughs> like getting the kids out of the house and like, you know, our wonderful nanny, like helping and, you know, little things that happen in the morning. But then after everybody left, I was like, okay, I'm going to have my morning tonic. Um, It's like vinegar and like really yummy sea salt and um, lemon and water. And I was like, I'm going to do a few sun salutations just so I can like <laughs> come back to myself, you know, like five minutes because. I'm a mom. I don't have an hour for a morning routine, but it was great. Like I just got centered and I'm ready. So one of the topics that you and I bonded on when we first met was the idea of a daily routine, a weekly routine. Can you walk through what yours looks like? Generally speaking, because I know that every day I'm sure with work and kids and family and husband and all the things yeah, is obviously not consistent, but generally speaking, what does your world usually look like? Totally. So I love that you said weekly routine because exactly for that, the reason that I'm a mom and I have a lot going on, I'm not able to do the same thing every morning. So I kind of look at my week, right? So, um, you know, Sundays, I like to start by just having a bunch of family time, just really chill, not try to work or do anything like that. Just really filling my cup with love and fun and giggles. And if it's nice, out, go to the beach and what have you. And then I have sort of a schedule for the week for like the things that I want to do that are going to keep me sane and grounded. So Mondays and Wednesdays, I go to yoga. It's usually um, yoga with baby right now. So it's a special class for, for mamas and babies. And then Tuesday and Friday, I work out with my trainer, same time. So I know that those things are on the schedule. Like there's, you know, money that I paid for this. There's somebody meeting me there. I have to be there. So that really works well for me to make sure that I am, you know, like working out and exercising and moving my body. Um, Every morning I drink that famous morning tonic. I drink a green smoothie for breakfast. My husband makes one that's really delicious and it just has all these wonderful nutrients. I take my daughter, my six-year-old who's in kindergarten. 
I walk her to school in the mornings before I start work. And that's, and I push the baby in the stroller. Um, and that's a way for all of us to like have a little bit of time to connect. You know, we're not rushing to get in the car. We're just walking. We're talking about things that we're seeing. So that's a really great way for me Monday through Friday to just kind of get in my body, get things moving, oxygen flowing. And then I come home and, you know, when everybody's out of the house, I just take some time to center myself. I don't always have time to like do a full on, you know, 30 minute meditation, but I'll look at my schedule and I'll think about the people that I'm going to meet with that day and just set some intentions for my day. Very light again. You know, this takes two minutes, like, oh, I'm talking to, you know, Jenna today. Oh, I'm going to be talking to Tim. Oh, right. There's that big board meeting that's coming up. Okay. I want to show up really present for him, blah, blah, blah. So some light intention setting. Um, And then the important thing, again, like looking at the whole week, I make sure that I have lots of blank space built into my schedule because that is going to allow me to, again, like maybe go out for a little a little walk and get some of that fresh ocean air in the middle of my day. I make sure that I have time to eat lunch. So spaciousness, I would say is key, but also there's certain things that are scheduled, you know, really committed to paid for to make sure that I'm there. So it's a mix of both. When you say white space, how frequently do you have that white space on your schedule and can you give an idea of like time increments? Cause I know that there's a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to the show who like that concept would be very attractive to. Yeah, absolutely. Because I work for myself and I'm very intentional about how much workload I take on. I have big, big chunks of white space. I mean, let's say like I'll have two or three hours on a Wednesday afternoon that are unscheduled, um, et cetera. I know not everybody can do that. But I do encourage my clients to have like an hour here and like 15 minutes is not enough. Sure. Take the 15 minutes. If it, you know, if a call ended early and you can step out, go, go get your some, some sun on your skin and and breathe some fresh air. But um, yeah, for me, it's two to three hours because of the whole context switching thing. If I have only one hour, but I was doing something before and I'm doing something after, it takes like 20 minutes to decompress from the thing I was doing before, 20 minutes to ramp up mentally for the thing I'm doing next. And then that white space is really only 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I say to people, if you can batch your schedule, right? Like do all your calls in the morning and then have some open space in the afternoon so that you actually have that decompression time and, and time for the ideas to bubble up and right just to be able to take a breath, all of that good stuff. Because there's the doing of the work and then there's, you know, the strokes of genius that we really need to make space for. Yes. And they are not, I mean, I think about the days that I worked in corporate settings and I worked in like some cubicle in a windowless office with no fresh air flowing and like me not leaving my desk between nine and five. And it's like, how did anyone ever expect me to come up with something good? You know, like my best ideas come up when I'm like, strolling my baby outside for 45 minutes, you know, and I get into that sort of like almost kind of meditative space because I had the time to do that, you know, and that's, that's when the ideas come. I think it's also so important to learn because everyone is different and we will get into this because this is another topic that you and I bonded on when we first started chatting, but everyone gets their ideas and their pings and their creative juices flowing in a different way. It's very different for every for everyone. For me, when I'm in movement, when I'm in a car, when I'm in a plane, when I'm 
oftentimes on a spin bike and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need a notebook. (laughs) That's when my ideas come to me. Um, So also knowing that of yourself is really important too. Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I think for most of us, it took me a long time to get to a place where I was like, oh, my best ideas don't happen at the desk under fluorescent lights in a windowless office with no fresh air, right? For a long time, I thought that there was something wrong with me if the ideas weren't coming. So it takes a while to figure that out. But I think it's important paying attention to where, where do your best ideas come from? When? Is it shampooing your hair in the shower, you know? You said earlier that you take moments before your day starts to set your intentions, to center yourself. Has that always been your practice? Did you incorporate that um, at a particular point in time? I used to be like on the hamster wheel, go, 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 nonstop. Didn't really need to sleep, you know, from birth to through my 20s. And then late 20s and 30s, I'm like, I could function like that, but I don't want to. And let's live a more full, fulfilled life, intentional life. So my world looks similar to yours in that regard, as far as like setting intentions and be more present. But I know my former self and she is such a departure from who I am now. (laughs) Totally. Same, same. I was not taught this stuff growing up. I mean, I don't think any of us were, right? Um, Did not, did not apply any of this stuff in my university years or early career years when I was working in international development and just on flights constantly in this crazy life. Like I, yeah, I didn't have that concept of how do I set myself up? for success every day, instead of just waiting for the day to show up and kick me in the face and just kind of do my best. Right. So that has been a new learning. And I have to say, thanks to all the teachers out there, you know, like the Danielle Laporte's and Marie Forleo's of the world out there that I discovered maybe around 10 years ago, when I was thinking of starting my own thing, I discovered this whole way of living that is, I I would call it intentional living. You design your life, Mm -hmm. you design your day, you design your relationships, you design them from a place of deep care, uh, intentionality, thoughtfulness. It's deliberate and it's life-changing, right? But yeah, I'm I'm glad I discovered it about a decade, decade ago. When we're children, I find that oftentimes we're encouraged to make pretend and to imagine and to dream. And then somewhere along the way, that just kind of gets stifled. And, you know, culturally, especially in the Western world, it's about going and doing and executing and performing. But what you just spoke about, I like to call adult make pretend. It's like, all right, what do I want my day to look like? Let's make pretend. And which is what led me to move across the country. It's kind of like, well, let's just imagine what things could be like. Let's imagine what we want them to be like. And then how do we find, you know, steps towards making those make pretend scenarios part of our everyday life? I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. And it comes from you. So true. One question that we always love to ask on the show is what was little Silvana like? such a great question. I'm totally going to steal that and start asking my clients this when I start working with them. Cause it, it tells you so much about people, um, like our nature, our true core nature. Right. Um, as a little girl, I was the first born of, um, my, I, I call it, you know, my, my batch 
because uh, my dad's been married three times, so he has different sets of kids. But I was the I was the firstborn. I have two younger brothers from that batch, and um, so I was bossy. <laughs> I was uh, kind of serious, mm-hmm. which is interesting because for me, what I'm discovering and what I'm developing as an adult is more playfulness and more lightness and levity and fun in my life. Because as a, mm-hmm. as a child, I was very serious. There was a lot of chaos going on in my household. My parents didn't get along. They kind of had a terrible marriage. So I really took on the role of, well, I'm going to be the adult here, but it made me not very fun. Um, things I enjoy doing. I was very into reading and learning. I've always been a nerd. I spent a lot of time by myself. I am an introvert by nature. I spent a lot of time in nature. I have um, an amazing grandmother, Grandma Paulette, who was a woman who she was very tied to nature. She had her own garden, grew home vegetables, kept bees. Wow. You know, every day we ate the salad from the garden. She made the ratatouille with her vegetables from the garden. So I also spent a lot of time with her uh, just in her kitchen or going out to the garden, looking at, oh, the strawberries just came out this morning and chopping veggies with her in the kitchen and just learning her way of life, which was all about being in touch with nature, paying attention to nature, being patient and giving certain rhythms to your life, which I now apply. Um, spent a lot of time with her. Yeah. I just really, really liked learning and listening and observing the world around me kind of more kept to myself. Amazing. So you are now a coach. Would you, would your particular type of coaching be considered executive coaching? Yeah, it's executive coaching, executive level coaching. So kind of like the highest tier of coaching truly in this, as far as like businesses and and employees are concerned how does an executive coach coach oneself slash seek coaching because kind of like all psychologists need a psychologist all therapists need a therapist I imagine coaches need coaches as well so what does that world look like for you totally yeah it starts with awareness I would say it's you know, every year or every six months, I kind of take stock of my life. I talk with my husband, I talk with my friends and I kind of go like, all right, let's see, how am I doing? (laughs) What's going on in our relationship? What's going on in our midst? Um, So I like to develop my awareness. I like to read. I like to get intentional about one thing. So this is very important because often when I'm coaching people, they want to work on seven things. And I think it's important that we focus on one thing at a time. Like, what is the core thing? So for me, it's the same thing. How I coach myself is I think about, well, where is there friction in my life? Or where is there someplace that I'm not experiencing joy or freedom or like connectedness? And I just choose one thing to work on. And then maybe I'll pick up a book or I'll ask a friend for their, you know, like, how are you dealing with this type of thing? Like, this is something I'm wanting to grow in. I most years work with a coach depending on what it is that I'm working on, right? Sometimes it can be more tactical. Sometimes it's definitely more around the relationship or personal aspect, but I like to hire coaches myself. I think it's important that I know what that feels like and that I experience that. Um, So again, it's awareness, intentionality, and not driving myself crazy, picking one thing that I want to work on at a time. Just being really gracious with myself about, okay, this isn't going to be an overnight thing, but let me get to work on this the next six months. 
you just mentioned the concept of resolution. And I think oftentimes we think about, oh, it's the end of the year, let's make a resolution or a list of resolutions for the entire year. And I was in a women's group last night and they were talking about that. And and the woman who was leading the women's group said, who who um, does the practice of creating resolutions, uh, annual resolutions? And I feel like you can appreciate this because, you know, in coaching people who have, you know, very fast paced lives or have, you know, a lot of different things going on, it's important for, for folks at a certain level in business, in life in general, but a certain level in business, especially leaders to be able to pivot and pivot quickly. I don't really do annual yearly resolutions. I try and take inventory on a daily basis. You said that your sweet spot is around six months to really do an overhaul, but what is your take on taking inventory on a more consistent basis as opposed to once a year? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that awareness, that awareness that I was talking about, that's a constant thing, Mm -hmm. right? Being ready to notice what is not working. Like if something doesn't feel good today, I don't need to wait until the end of the year. And I think that a lot of people make that mistake, right? It's um, they want to delay like, oh, I'll take care of this thing. That's really a thorn on my side. I'll take care of this. Like when things get slower, when things are less crazy, when it's the end of the year and I have time to think about it. And I, to your point, I really think, especially with my clients, I mean, when it comes to their business stuff, they're on top of it. They'll make the pivots very quickly, but often they want to delay making those changes in their personal mm-hmm. stuff, the things that they're dealing with inter- in, internally or the things that are coming up interpersonally. Um, but I am a big fan of, if there's a pain point in your life, don't delay it. Do Take care of it now. And I would say call in the help right away, right? Like call your therapist, <laughs> call your best friend who you trust and who you know has you know a knack for these types of things. Like call in the tribe because that makes it less scary. And I think that that's something we don't do enough. We don't think often enough, oh, who can help me with this so I don't have to do it alone, right? Especially people who are hyper-independent and who are hyper, um, who are, you know, high-performers you know, oftentimes it is, oh, no, I can do it. Or, you know, asking for help is kind of a foreign concept. I do feel, you know, that culturally asking for help is not championed as much as we probably should. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in the U.S., we definitely have a culture in a, um, like an admiration for the self-made man and the self-made woman. And it's like, dude, (laughs) Nobody is self-made. You had parents and grandparents who raised you. You had teachers who influenced you. You had mentors. You've had friends who have shaken you up when you're out of line. Like, takes a village. It, yeah, it's a village, and I I think it's it's something that we constantly have to remind each other to do. So you your um, profession before being a coach eight years ago was in international development. One, what was your first experience with coaching? And when did you know, that's what I want my next move to be? How did you make that transition? Because I could probably sit here and be like, oh, those are t- those two you know, careers are related. I'm sure we can find a thread in between. There is, yeah. 
but they're but they are also quite different. I imagine yes. that the lifestyles and the type of work is very different. How did you go from one to the other? Mm. The reason I decided to become a coach after having a career that I loved in international development is because I was tired of witnessing over and over poor leadership. It doesn't matter if you look in government, if you look in business, if you look in academia, it doesn't matter if it's India, Peru, uh, Germany, there is bad leadership everywhere. And I had witnessed this in my international career. And I said, you know, this is cool. Like I'm here trying to make change with these nonprofits and like help the people who don't have a voice or help the people who have less means than others. But I think if we fix the leadership, if we fix what's going on at the top levels, right? The people who are shaping the way we think, the people who are shaping where our money goes. I mean, let's think about it. Tech, tech is shaping how we, how we are today, right? So I said, if I could put my time and energy in something that's going to be leveraged for the greatest good on the planet, I need to go to the top. So that was where the idea for coaching came. It, it was from my career in international development and knowing that I needed to le leverage myself differently to use my life in a bigger way. My interest in like the first time I heard about what coaching was, I remember it very clearly. This is about 20 years ago. I had just moved to New York City to start life after university. And I was hanging out with friends at a happy hour. And one of the friends had to leave to go because she was studying to be a life coach. And here I am, you know, having drinking time with my friends, but I talked to her for two minutes and I just remember my little heart said, oh, I like that. You know, what she explained about it, like guiding others, helping others make better decisions, get to know themselves. I remember my little heart just saying, I want to be that. And even though that was 20 years ago, the seed was planted then. So that's a very pivotal moment for me. I'll never forget that. That was kind of the the spark, the knowing and then cut to you changing career paths. What did that timeline look like? Did you have an aha moment of, okay, got to go? Did you have yes. an exit strategy? Um, how long were you pondering before you made that leap yourself? Yes. I, I was becoming disenchanted with the little effect, like I said, the little effect that I felt I was having in international development. And I would say this was in my early 30s. I went to Burning Man and I had a chance encounter with someone and I was talking about, I was thinking about coaching because I was already in my mind. I need to pivot out of this. I want to go coach leaders. I want to go coach leaders, but I didn't know how to, I mean, you know how it is like change is scary. It's hard. All I knew was this world of international development and, you know, <laughs> nonprofit organizations and all of that. So I had that chance encounter and I made a decision. So this was a Marie Forleo thing, I think, mm. where she says, you first, you make the decision and you say two years from now or a year from now, I want to do this. And then you work your way back. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I said, by the time I turn 35, by my 35th birthday, I will have left international development and I will have started my coaching practice. This was about two years out. I got back from Burning Man, signed up for the course that had just spoken to me. I knew this was the course for me. It was a year long course and the countdown started. Um, what does that mean? I was working my full-time job and studying in this year long course, nights and weekends. 
I was meeting with people who already were coaches and who were doing very well to say, how I, I met with a woman who was a million dollar a year coach. And I said, is that even a thing? You know, so I needed to sit with her and hear it from her words to know that this is possible. Um, what does it look like? So I talked to a lot of people who were already there so that it could become real for me. I was in my course. I was consuming as much of the podcast, podcasts like yours, Marin, which is why I'm just so thankful for the work you do because it was podcasts like the Marin Costello radio that fed me these ideas, this inspiration, these tips, these techniques. Um, oh, this is what you should focus on. This is what you shouldn't waste time on, right? Talking with people, listening to this content, reading this content. And then I also put, this is very important. Once I started my practice, I spent money that I didn't necessarily have. I invested in a coach, a business coach to help me learn the nuts and bolts of how do I create my first clients? How do I get the word out there about what I'm doing? How do I get clear about my messaging, right? Like she was basically giving you a, a foundation for businesses that were just starting like me. And I think that I'm not saying, you know, go out and get into debt. This was a debt that I knew I could repay. It was $2,000. I, I was confident that I would be able to repay that, um, that I had put on the credit card, but it was an investment that I made in myself. I said, I don't know these skills. I've gotten as much as I can from talking to people, doing the free thing, but let me make a real investment to get these tools. And that was pivotal. It really got me from, you know, just not knowing how to start, how to find these clients to six months later, I had four paying clients and I was kind of like building my business the way I wanted to. I was building my life the way I wanted to. And that was because I I got the coaching, you know, the, the so teaching. Smart. That is so smart because there is such a thing as things that are worth putting on your credit card and things that aren't. There's a difference between, you know, living frivolously, living quote unquote, you know, beyond your means. Um, there's a lot of keeping up with the Joneses, you know, in the world still. There's a difference between that versus I'm going to invest in this and then I'm going to learn from this. And I know that eventually my behavior from this investment will make this, will make me profitable and will pay for this. And it's almost like that impossible, like I'm deciding that I'm going to be able to pay off this loan. It's also, a it's also make pretend and decision-making. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Totally. I, I am crossing this bridge mm -hmm. and I'm committing to going mm -hmm. there, right? And so putting, yeah, putting some skin in the game was definitely um, was definitely one of the catalysts to me getting my practice growing from there on. Before your business coach, had you had any particular or specific entrepreneurial experience? Was being an entrepreneur something that was, you know, something that was readily available to you? Um, any inspiration? inspiring folks in your life that were entrepreneurs that you thought, oh, I can do my version of that? Yes. Yes. And no. So I come from a line of entrepreneurs on my father's side. My grandfather um, was an entrepreneur. He started a, a company in France when he was very young, building bicycle parts. Um, and he patented this amazing uh, handlebar 
for a bicycle that became kind of really uh, well well known by um people who competed, et cetera. So he built this amazing business in France. So I grew up, you know, watching my grandpa going to the factory, like meeting, you know, his business partners and sitting in his office. So I grew up with my grandfather as an entrepreneur and then my father took over the business. So same thing, just very much observing, seeing how he th- did things differently than my grandfather, et cetera. My father eventually went bankrupt with the business. That's a story for another day. Um, but that was my first idea of entrepreneurship. The but in that was that I don't think anyone in my family, the men at least, or even the women, I don't think anyone ever thought that I maybe could be become an entrepreneur myself or somebody who had her own business one day or somebody that could maybe take over the family business one day. Sometimes I wonder about that. So yes, I I did grow up around it, but I didn't have anyone sort of telling me you could do this or Right. That came later in life when I was, you know, in in my 30s and I decided to do this and discovered all of these mentors and all of these business people that are guiding people of our generation on how to do this. You help other folks find their own clarity and courage. How do you find your clarity and courage? Where does that come from? Mm. Again, I'm going to bring up my family. My mom is a very courageous person. My mom is somebody who has started her life over so many times. She's originally from Colombia, moved to the States with her Finnish husband-to-be when she was very young, um, You know, moved to France when uh, she married my dad, and we all moved there. Um, so I get a lot of courage from her, from watching how she took her decision and how she took risks and how she had faith in herself. Mm-hmm. She always bet on herself. So I think that it has influenced me a lot. But nowadays, it's something that I cultivate. Um, the clarity and courage, again, it's not something that just for me falls you know, in my lap. And I think it's important for people to know that because often people will say to me, oh, well, you're so courageous. You're so bold. I'm not like that. And I want people to know that anybody can be courageous and anybody can get clear on what they want. And I think the two are related. I love that you brought them up together because courage often comes from getting the clarity. If you are clear that this isn't what you want to be doing, this isn't the life you want to be living, this isn't uh, where you are fulfilling your mission with your life. If you're clear on those things, the courage often comes because you are clear on the fact that you don't want this anymore, right? And you're clear on the fact that there's something else. So I do think that they're related. But when I say you have to cultivate it, it's set yourself up for success, right? If you want to have clarity, then set yourself up in a way where you're going to um, you're gonna make that time to maybe go and get inspired. You are going to maybe not have four cups of coffee (laughs) this morning, right? So you can have that clarity come from a more calm place. Um, Just do what you need to. And it's different for everybody, right? Some people need four cups of coffee to get to the clarity, right? Um, But I'm speaking for myself, right? So whatever it is for you, whatever state you need to be in to get to that state of clarity, set yourself up for success. And then the courage, I think really comes from saying, what do I really want? 
What is on the other side of this? That could be really amazing. What is the cost going to be if I stay doing this thing Mm. that I'm afraid to change, but yet doesn't really fill me with joy or passion or wealth or what have you, right? Like it's not bringing me the things that I want in life. So really kind of get clear with yourself on what is waiting for you over there. If you take that risk, if you have the courage to do it, but what are the costs of doing nothing? And then really feel that. And that really works for me. Another topic that we really bonded on when we first met was, you know, getting clear, yes, on what you do want, but even more specifically on what you don't want. If you know what you don't want, you can steer clear of those things and maybe stay curious about things that are other than the things that you don't want. Totally, totally. But having that clarity initially will open up those paths for you. Absolutely. You mentioned um, your mom when it comes to courage and the themes that I heard were grace and permission, the permission that she gave herself to make changes, to start anew, to switch it up, to pivot. That's an amazing example to have set for, you know, a child, a daughter. It is. It is. I mean, my mom was so I don't know what it is about her, but she has a quality to be able to, you know, she went from living a very comfortable life with my dad, being a mother to three children. She did not work. She was just a full-time mom um, to getting divorced from my dad when my dad had gotten, had gone through bankruptcy and having to, after basically 15 years of not having worked, having to go back to the workforce um, to raise me as a single mom at this point, um, in the United States, we had come back to the United States cause she knew she, she would be able to find work and start her life over here. But she was just so clear about it. She's like, okay, I'm divorced now. <laughs> we got to find a way to make money. We got to find a way for me to raise you. Right. My brothers were staying with my dad and it was okay. We're going back to the States. Uh, I'm going back to Florida where I have a couple of connections and we're just going to figure things out, you know, and she, that is her, that is the way she operates. It's no time to dwell on fear or (laughs) I'm scared or I'm not confident about this. It's, we got to do this. Let's go. It's amazing. Another similar, another related, but different topic, boundaries, Mm -hmm. personal and professional, keeping them or creating them and then maintaining them yeah ready go (laughs) ready go so boundaries for me are such a special topic because for the first part of my life I did not have healthy boundaries right grew up in emotional chaos in my household I had to kind of take on the role of raising my brother's I was just like I'll show up and do whatever needs to get done but once I left the family home, started working and started, I think practicing yoga and meditation were part of what helped me develop that awareness of, oh, well, when do I feel depleted? When do I feel like something is not aligning? When do I feel like something isn't right? Right. So it really helped me to develop that awareness, that awareness of this works well and this doesn't work well and doesn't feel good. And then from there, again, with all of these, you know, mentors and people who have written books and people who have given talks on these topics, 
I learned that there is a way to build a life that is in line, that is aligned with what I'm about and what I'm looking for and who I am. And that meant creating boundaries. So at first, it was shocking, I think, to the people around me because I, I'm a pretty decisive person. And once I said, I don't want to live this way anymore, I don't want to be um, you know, in these relationships that aren't serving me. So it was pretty, I would say, shocking for the people who knew me up until that point. I was determined to live a life that was in line with my values, in line with what I believe. I had to end some friendships. Um, it was tough at first, but you know, here I am 20 years later from the time I learned to do this. And nowadays it doesn't feel like a tough thing. Boundaries come from the clarity that I have around who am I? What kinds of relationships do I want? How do I want to contribute to others? How do I want to be in this world? And then because I have that clarity, somehow the way that I'm designing my life already has the boundaries built into it. So boundaries nowadays in my life are not something where I have to roll up my sleeves and be tough about it. They are kind of nat a natural extension of me being so clear about what I want to welcome in my life, about who I want to be with others. And that just happens in a very organic way. So I would say for those who are thinking right now, like, I want to have better boundaries in my life. There's a bunch of things that need to change. Let's say, don't be scared. It's not about rolling up your sleeves and getting tough, but get clear, get really clear. Do that internal work of getting clear of who you are and what you want to call in and what you want to keep out and then start designing your life in a very organic way with that in mind. And you'll see that those things you know, like those things that you're trying to not be around anymore somehow don't show up. Two things that came to mind because I had a similar uh, experience with boundaries where I didn't have any growing up. Mm. I was like, yeah, use and abuse me. It's fine. I'm here. I'm available. Whatever. You know, I don't need sleep. It's fine. Like I'll help at my expense. Yeah. Um, two, two little um, tidbits that kind of came up when you were speaking is one creating boundaries um, is a muscle hmm. and it's okay in the beginning if it's a little rocky because you'll learn what works for you and what doesn't in creating those boundaries and two when you said that you know boundaries doesn't need to be rolling up your sleeves bound creating boundaries can can be kind it doesn't need yes. to be harsh it doesn't need to be mean it doesn't come doesn't need to come from a bad place it, boundaries can be very kind and gentle as actually I think that they work even better when they come from that space totally mm -hmm. totally a conversation that you need to have with someone because the boundaries are fluffy or not what you want them to be can totally be kind mm -hmm. there's a thing that Brene Brown says uh in her book I think it's dare to lead where she says clear is kind and she's talking about it in a leadership sense, but I think we can apply it to anything in our life. If I'm clear with you about what my expectations are or about what my disappointment has been or about what I'm able to give or not give, and I'm clear, just clear, no need to be tough, no need to be brutal. That is kindness, right? So I love that you're bringing up the point of boundaries and setting boundaries can and ideally should be a kind process mm -hmm. because it can definitely build the relationship up even more. So it's, it's going to work to your advantage on so many levels. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that working with your 
business coach in the very beginning was essential in creating um, space to call in your clients. And you said, I think within the first six months, you had four clients. Once you've got those clients, let's talk about retention. How did you keep them, make them happy? What did those timelines look like? Um, yeah. Can you kind of speak through client relations? Mm-hmm. So that's, it's a topic I love because when we're talking about having our own business, our own practice, right? There's inevitably the question of, well, how do we find these clients? How do we do the sales? And I was lucky to also work with coaches and methods of teaching over the years that taught me that sales is not is the way we think about it is kind of messed up. And especially in these, um, like in the type of work that I do, right? I will call it like serving humans. Sales is about relationship building. To me, nowadays, I don't feel like I'm ever selling anything. The selling for me is I'm having a conversation with someone, getting curious about them, uh, caring, coming from that place of deep caring. Like I see you and I care about what happens to you and I care about your future and I want to help. And just showing up present, ready to listen and ready to ask curious questions. That has been the success of my business. Like when it comes to creating clients, right? When it comes to keeping my clients or serving them in the best way possible, it's very similar. It's showing up fully present. It's showing up with my heart, like the nectar of my soul. Like I am here to serve you and I am here for you. I'm here to give you my best. I'm here to ask you curious questions because I'm paying attention to what you're saying. I'm here to get in there with you and try to figure things out. Like I'm your partner. I'm holding your hand, right? But I'm also not jumping into the drama or the despair or whatever or whatever it is, right? Like I can still offer that distance. So I think that relationship building, relationship building and coming to people with that deep care and with your with your genius, like offering them whatever your gift is and offering it in the highest and best way possible that you can offer it to them is the key, both to creating clients and serving clients and returning clients. On the retaining clients, for me, it's a little bit different because my goal is to see my clients develop these skills for themselves to a point where they feel like they can fly with their own wings. So my goal is not to, to keep them forever, but I do want them to refer me to their friends and to refer me to, right. Or like if they go build a new company, bring me along with you kind of thing. Um, which has, you know, when I think about my business today, I would say 80% of my business is from referrals is from people sending me their friends, you know, this, oh, this other founder at this other company who I met with, you know, he could, he could use your help um, or people who are starting their next business who have worked with me in the past. You specifically work in the tech space. How did you find that niche? I, we found each other, <laughs> that mm-hmm. niche and I found each other. I, so like I said, I come from international development, which was not a tech oriented, um, tech oriented sector. I've always been interested in tech. I've always had a mind that can be very technical when I think through problems, etc. I am married to an engineer. So my life partner is a tech person. 
And when I started my practice, I wasn't clear on who I was best going to serve, but I was open. I sort of said, you know, who, who can I serve here who is not getting the support that they need? And hanging out with my husband and his friends in tech, I realized, oh, there is a need here for these conversations that are not happening around managing your internal psychology, around how to be a good leader to people, how to do the human stuff when you're an engineer or a tech person. So I would go to these parties and by the end of the night, my husband, you know, he's off talking with other people. And by the end of the night, I have five dudes around me going. So, so, you know, there's this thing going on with my co-founder, um, you know, and I, I don't know how to go about it. I feel like I have to say something, you know, and it was, that was me at parties. And I went, oh my gosh, these guys have nobody to talk to about this stuff. Right. So it was really like these, these magnets that found each other. Um, and it was just immediately clear to me that the way that I can, communicate with these most of my uh, clientele is men I do have some amazing amazing women working with me but most of them are men and so it was this realization of I have something to offer them that they're not getting anywhere else and the way that I'm communicating it to them feels like they can understand it they can take it in and they can make sense of it and they can integrate it and use it so it was like this is it that's amazing. It's amazing when the market tells you what it needs from you. It is. I really feel lucky in that way because it happened early on in my practice. And, you know, here I am many years later, still working with these people and really adding, just adding a lot to them um, that again, they're not getting anywhere else. Well, now you have kiddos and how did your business change and shift? Well, how did I mean, where, where do I begin with this? How did you change as a coach once you had children? And secondarily, how did your practice change once you had children? It is amazing. A lot of the things that my daughter learns in kindergarten, she has a really great, um, like socially and emotionally intelligent teacher, my kindergartner. And I kid you not, two days ago, I was using something that my my daughter's teacher was teaching them like a new tool for how to deal with something. I use that in a session. So I think children, children teach us so much. Mm-hmm. And it's not only like, I not only take from being, you know, being a parent and mothering my children, um, I not only take some of that just to inform, you know, my relationship with them, but also because I'm realizing more and more that a lot of the difficult things that we deal with as adults came from our childhood. So being a parent has made me, when I look at one of my clients, you know, somebody who's 45, I can more clearly see maybe the childhood, and I'm not a shrink, right? Like, let's be clear about that. But there is a lot of psychology and emotional intelligence to what I do. So when I'm dealing with somebody who's 45, and we get into their childhood when when I start working with them. I definitely do a, a very proper intake. I want to hear about their childhood, et cetera. But being a parent is helping me better connect those dots with my clients who are adults. Mm-hmm. Um, it has changed me in the sense that I'm more patient. I'm more understanding. I'm more tolerant. Um, my heart has been cracked open with more of an ability to love. And interestingly enough, I 
have naturally been a very judgmental person. But being a parent is taking taking the edges off of my judgmentalness. I'm much, much less judgmental. And all of those things, all of those ways that I'm growing as a parent to better love and care for my children are also showing up in how I better love and care my clients. But especially around the tolerance, patience, understanding, non-judgmental nature of things. That's so beautiful. I believe the children are our greatest teachers. They are. They are. They're amazing. Yeah. So amazing. What would your advice be to folks who want to do what you do or a version of what you do? Who want to be coaches? Sure. Ah, my gosh. I would say, please go for it. The world does not have enough coaches. I think we need more coaches of all type, right? Like health, (laughs) wellness, relationship, sex coaches, uh, money coach. God, that was another big thing. I mean, if there's anything I would say to anybody who's thinking about starting their own business or wants to go into a coaching practice, you're getting ready to make a big pivot in your work life. Do some money work. Mm. Like I worked with, you know, I did a money course. I worked with a money coach to understand my money blueprint and my unhelpful beliefs around money before I started my practice. That was life-changing. I don't think that I would be where I am today from, you know, speaking from a point of financial abundance and just abundance in general, if I hadn't done that work to heal those old money stories, heal those old money wounds. Mm, So that's a parenthesis, but I think it's so important. So important. Yeah. Um, But anybody who wants to be a coach, go for it. Um, I would say, think about be very intentional. Again, like, why do you want to be a coach? What do you want to help heal in the world? Like come from that place of what am I looking to heal? What am I, what am I seeing in the world that is a pain point that is just frustrating and annoying and painful for everybody that I want to help heal, that I want to help teach others about, um, be very intentional, go for it, get yourself in a good program. Like don't just, you know, try to wing it, but I would say get a a good program where you're going to get some tools that are going to help give you the confidence. I think I had, before I did my coaching program and before I became a certified coach, I had the ingredients to be a great coach, but doing the program gives you the tools, the confidence that like, yeah, I have a four-step process for this, right? Like you show up really ready to embody the coaching process and to help somebody. Um, And Also, I would say you can be a coach in many different places. You don't necessarily have to go and start your own practice. You can even coach within your company. Like, let's say you plan to stay in corporate, do the coaching course so that you can be a better leader or a better manager or even a better colleague to people. Um, So, yeah, I, I think it's, you can't go wrong with becoming a coach, whatever it is you want to do with it, because the world needs it. That's just the best advice ever. Where can we find and support you? Um, I am on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. I am the only Silvana Roche in the world. So it's very easy to find me. I post on Instagram every now and then, but then, um, yeah, I would say LinkedIn, Medium. I have a, a Medium account. You can read some of my musings on there. And then if you want to reach out to me, I'm always open to talk to anybody who, you know, even if you're not ready to hire a coach, but you're maybe thinking like, 
do I have a book recommendation on this topic that I'm struggling with? So feel free to find me at my website, elanvital.co. You can send me a message there and that's it. Yeah, but it's easy to find me. I'm around. You're the best. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing all of your wisdom and your time and your expertise and your vulnerability and all the things. I just adore you as a human. And I'm so grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing because there's you're making the world a better place. Oh, thank you. You're the best. I am so thrilled to have been able to do this with you. And thank you. Thank you. Of course. My goodness gracious, you guys, that interview was just everything. A huge thank you to Silvana for coming on the show. Another big thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you like this episode, you can listen to it again and again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love just like Silvana. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at MarenCostello.com and MarenCostelloRadio on Instagram. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. And we will see you next week with another amazing guest. You probably think I'm crazy. I just told you I'm my baby. No way, waiting on the right time now. Girl, I want you on my timeline. Yeah. Push the Chevy through the city on the west side. Tell all the homies I do, you can invite. Ooh, I've been sleeping on you. Wake up with you sleeping on me. Me want to put it down, girl, for you nice and slow. Never choosing nobody else but you. Baby, go, oh, nah, 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 nah. Baby, go, oh, nah, 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 nah. Baby girl, oh na 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 na. Baby girl, oh na 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 na. Girl, I must be out my mind. Cause I want your body all the time. Don't take your time. First in line. I'm greedy because you're mine. I noticed that you came with your friend. I guess we about to get it all in. Ooh, we. Catch your vibe getting groovy. I see your eyes, you pursue me. Long hair, touch your booty. Jim and I, yeah, you know me. I've been sleeping on you. Wake up with you sleeping on me. Me want to put it down, girl, for you nice and slow. Never choosing nobody else but you. Baby girl, oh, na, 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 na. Baby girl, oh, na, na, na. Baby girl, oh na 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 na. Baby girl, oh na 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 na. Ooh na na na, yeah, yeah. That body do wonders, girl. Make me want to put a diamond on you. Yeah, girl, let me see you wine one time. Yeah, me want to sweat with you. Bend that body that way right now. Me want to make you feel all of me right. Now.
Na, 